Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Shop Store Podcast. This is episode uh, one of season three, so brand new season, and um, we're pretty excited to be back on the show. So we've got Joey again. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. Well, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. We'll get to that. And, <laughs> and Brian, how's it going? I'm good, Roman. I'm good. It's good to be back. Yeah, yeah man, it awesome. is. It is good to be back. It's been a. It's been a. a, a a fair few months since we um, recorded the last show. And before we get too far into it, I just want to say to everyone who's left me messages, um, I don't know if you guys have had messages, but I've had yes. a ton of people <laughs> messaging me saying, what's going on? Where's the shop store? When's the podcast coming back? Um, yeah, really appreciate it. It's it's so cool to feel that kind of love. Mm. So I think what we're going to do tonight is um, just sort of, I guess, recap what, what's been going on. Um, why we took the break because um, a lot a lot of stuff has happened in the break which is why we took it in the first place and then I guess we could just talk about what's coming up this um, this year so before we um, start recording Brian something's gone wrong with your knee it has yeah yeah it wasn't ideal but on the way actually on the flight home from New Zealand um, I was lifting a bag and lifting it onto the scales at the airport and felt something <laughs> pop in my knee. No way. Yeah. So I just assumed it was a bit of a meniscus tear or something and kind of like it swelled up, swelled back down again. Or can something swell back down again? Went back down <laughs> again. And um, I thought that was the end of it. And then I was really struggling through the whole of January to be able to bend my knee, uh, which isn't really what a meniscus tear usually, um, usually yeah. results in. So... Yeah, an MRI later, and I find out that I've, I've broken uh, the bottom of my femur off inside my kneecap. Really? Oh, yeah. So the, Just by lifting a bag? Well, so the surgeons were trying to understand <laughs> what had happened because they said it's something that they only see in either teenagers who have gone through a massive growth spurt. And I did oh. have a few minor knee things when I was like 14, 15, but, yeah. um, mm. or pensioners. Like, so he said to see it, somebody of your age, um, when you haven't been involved in a car crash, and they said, oh, you, do you play sport? And I said, yeah, yeah, I play quite a bit of soccer. And they said, oh, that'll yeah, explain it. Player, yeah. But yeah. Um, I haven't played since 2019, obviously. For, <laughs> so um, whether the fracture had just been sitting there and the bone had never knitted properly, but yeah, the, the twist um, with the weight transfer yeah. over the top of it was enough to pop it out. So Jeez. I had to go in for an operation, not really knowing what they were going to do. Um, mm. So they told me if I woke up and there was a massive scar or a massive wound across my knee, it was a good thing. If there was <laughs> just an arthroscopy, it was a bad thing because it meant that they, they were going to leave it and um, it would probably right. be a knee replacement. So, yeah, I've just had a couple of pins put into the bone to try to pin it back up. But um, everything else was good. No ligament damage, no meniscus tears. So... It's really just waiting it out and letting it heal properly. So no soccer for a year and nothing impacty for a year. Um, which is it is, affecting you much in the shop? I can't go to the shop. Like, I'm on crutches for six oh, weeks. Right, yeah. okay, so it's, it's that much of an impact. Yeah, so um, six weeks on crutches and then I, my quad has completely wasted uh, to nothing. Like, Whoa. Uh, the sort of analogy I've used is I look like a mannequin that's had the wrong leg attached. Really? I just got this one. In just a few weeks. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Within three weeks, I spoke to a few physio friends of mine, and they said it's the quickest muscle to waste in in the human body, but oh. it's the quickest to build up again. So yeah, I've got loads yeah. of exercise, and I can now tense it and feel as though there's something there. But yeah, it just went went to nothing. Yeah. So um, so yeah, it's been a bit of a shitty start to the year, to be honest. Um, <laughs> especially after all the enthusiasm of getting back and sort of yeah. Melbourne being COVID free ish. Um, and you've got work lined up. Yeah, and I had work lined up, which had been clients. Yeah, we maybe get into that. Well, I don't know. Maybe okay. we'll get into it now. But yeah, I'd had a couple of <laughs> a couple of jobs lined up in New Zealand, and with the understanding, oh, I'm not going to be able to start on them until I get back in January. So there's mm. a few months lead time, and then calling up a client and saying, "Oh, it's going to be another two, three months before you're getting your piece," and that was totally cool. So I lost a couple of jobs that way, which I completely get, but. I've had a couple of jobs since that I've done design work in the build-up to my operation and after the operation for friends, not clients, friends, and uh, 
they pulled the plug on it, like, just by saying... Like, I've designed two different dining tables for free, no design fee. So I wish I could go back to the episode where we discussed working for friends. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure I gave myself some advice about not working for friends for no fee. So, yeah, I designed two different dining tables for free and uh, got a casual... Oh, we actually managed to find a dining table, like, further down the line. So Uh, it's been... It's been a very frustrating um, few weeks, like, especially when that was kind of getting me through, like, knowing that I was going to be making something that I really wanted to make for people that I really wanted to make it for, and then that's gone. Mm. But um, I've got a few few decent enough jobs lined up for for when I get out, but the problem is just being able to lift things. Yeah. So um, it's going to be... Impossible. I've got a whole scale, so there'll be a jewellery box or a memory box at the start, and then a coffee table... And then uh, a big built-in. <laughs> so, yeah, there'd be a, a few weeks for me to get back back up to full steam. But, yeah, it's been a, it's basically going to cost me the whole first half of this year, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because it's mm. not like you just stand around in a workshop. No. You, you walk hundreds and hundreds of steps, thousands of steps a day. Yeah. So, it was uh, pretty funny. Like, so I wasn't allowed out of bed for the first um, two weeks of my operation. So I was literally just sitting in bed. With which it, with a toddler, um, you, a toddler so, so you couldn't even use your crutches to move around. No, zero ways. What? I could go to the bathroom you, and that was it. Was that just in case you landed on it? You would just the, stuff the it type up. of pins. Sorry, we're getting well away from woodworking, but it's at least construction. <laughs> the type of pins that they use. Some dowel joinery. Yeah, they didn't use um, uh, metal pins or titanium pins or whatever. They use a pin that's made out of cornstarch. Oh, right. So it dissolves after a year. So the idea is that there's very little head showing on the on the ball of your knee joint, so it wears the meniscus less. But the problem is, if you get up, they're quite brittle. So if you fracture that thing before the bone has started to knit back in, it's gonzo and it's it's game over um, and full knee replacement. So yeah, when he told me that, I thought, yeah, I can, I'll do the two weeks. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's just been a very slow, but. It could have been far worse. Like, if it had been an ACL or or something like that, that really does take a full year to rehab from, whereas, like, I'm able to cycle and swim as of the next couple of weeks. So it's really... It's mm. it's a shorter recovery time, but, the re- like, it's been pretty brutal. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, hats off to my wife for only wanting to kill me about, I reckon, 25 times, I think she's... A day? Yeah, a day, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, no, it's just been, yeah and shit but it no, is what it no. is yeah. well best of luck on that Jeez. cheers yeah. <laughs> chicks dig scars though right yeah not when they're internal and you can't see them oh no there's a good count. there's a good wee external one yeah yeah, yeah, so, yeah we'll be right but yeah yeah but uh, you've got more exciting news than me Robin so why don't you why don't you tell us why we haven't been recording for the last four months or so because to anyone listening out there don't have two kids. No, I'm joking. That's a, that's a horrible way to start this off. Um, yeah, so the the reason we stopped the show, well, we brought the show um, to a pause last year was because I had a second child, a little boy, on the 10th of January. So little Grayson, he has been the perfect child. Now, to put in perspective, my first child, my daughter, she was difficult. She is still difficult. Um, I've literally, I got her into bed uh, about 10 minutes before the show, which is an hour later than normal, just because that's what she does. Just on the sh- night that I'm having, doing the podcast and we're starting it, um, <laughs> she decides she doesn't want to go to bed. It's one of those things. This little man, he, since he was born, goes to bed at 7 or 8 o'clock and wakes up at 6 in the morning. What? No, no, right? Unreal. How stupid is that? <laughs> Unreal. And, you know, we keep, like, waiting for the moment where he decides, actually, now I'm going to be a baby and I'm going to wreck your sleep. Nope, nope. He just sticks at it. It's been, yeah, it's just been crazy. He's been the, the polar opposite, super easy, super chill, which has made um, number one a lot easier to work with. Man, I tell you what, I so, could do with some sleep right now, so that's not fair. <laughs> so weird, I put out a, an Instagram post probably about a, a month ago, I think was when we first tried to put the show, to do the show. Yeah. And I said, oh, you know, we're back into recording. And then later that night, it all just, the wheels just fell off. And um, so to everyone who's, who saw that post and thought the show was coming back and then it didn't, that's what happened. Um, <laughs> I just, I had a screaming toddler and we, and 
what we did is we waited for the, the clocks to change. So now it's a bit easier to, to line everything up. So yeah, yes. um, very minimal workshop time though. Two kids, it's a lot, a lot more work, a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. Um, even with a, a, a very relaxed, relaxed dude. Um, so yeah, just been doing some odd jobs here and there wherever I can. Cause Joey, you're, you're, you're back into it, aren't you? Full we, swing. uh, Busy, 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 yeah, busy. Yeah, tell, tell us what it's like to make furniture. We, we, we want to hear it, Joe. <laughs> I know I'm getting a little... Uh, I'm, uh, I'm so busy that I was... I, mean, I contemplated a, a, another employee, another full-time employee to do my job. So I would just essentially be a manager and just be drawing pictures all day, but I'm not sure that I actually want to do that. Uh, I've, I've just, be, just been increasing my... Uh, Q job Q timeline and people are at the moment starting to walk away with, with a three month kind of lead time but um, that's where we're at we're booking end of June at the moment what type of work uh, everything um, with full, people are coming with full house lots and that's what is is Jeez. is uh it seemed it's, like the end of last year was all kitchens. That's all you were doing was kitchens and built-ins. Yeah, and we're just finishing off a really big one, which was part of a house lot. I mean, when I say house lot, I've said it before, but I've never really meant it in the sense that now we're making every every kind of cabinet in the house. It's it's the kitchen, the en-suites, bookcases, TV unit, um, so laundry units and then all the kids' bedrooms and then there's desks in all the bedrooms and then... Um, Do you reckon, just, are you pitching for those jobs or is it... That no, these are old clients. They're old clients. And are they coming to you because of supply issues with getting stuff into New Zealand or is it that they've uh, got a bit more disposable income and they want something better? So I think what's happened here is because no one can go anywhere. Yeah. Um, Everybody, everybody's spending their holiday money on their houses. Yeah. Mm. And it's across the board. Everybody's busy. Every contractor, builder, cabinet maker, everyone's just run off their feet to the point where, like, I think I even said it uh, on one of the last episodes, but it was hard to get hinges and draw runners and stuff and plywood. Mm. And, and it's got no better. Um, and, and it's a bit difficult to know what's going to be on the shelves. I, I just am just quoting jobs, assuming things are going to be there. And when I get to the get to the day to order materials and it's not there, um, I just got to ring the client up and say, we're changing to this because that's all that's available. And you can't complain because there's nothing available. There's no, there's no other choice. Are there material so, shortages or just hardware? Yeah. Material? Uh, like ply, plywood, yeah. Okay. Um, and I'll ring my supplier every now and then. Oh, yeah, we've got a pallet in. Oh, no, we just sold it. Yeah, <laughs> must get snapped so, up so quick. Um, and so people who can hold stock, that's the mm. new currency at the moment. If you've got room for stock, these bigger companies are, are buying up whatever it is by the container load. And so it means smaller people with, like me who have a reasonable size but no room for the stock. Um, you know, we just got to wait, take what's left on the shelves, uh, which is fine. I'm used to I'm, – I'm pretty flexible. I can change – how I make things, mm. uh, so I'm not too worried about that. I uh, just quoted on a another set of curved stairs. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, you didn't learn your lesson. No, I didn't. Um, I it was from we, the same right architect. Here we should be inserting the audio from that episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With that, that very definitive <laughs> quote, where I'll never do this again. It was the same architect, and um, during that first stair build he had sent me this rough plan and said, could you do this? And I was like, yeah, I probably could. Um, here's a ballpark figure. And now the house is actually mostly built and the owner who is doing the project management got in touch with me and said, can you come and have a look at this? Is it still this much? And I was like, well, that was never a quote, but that's a kind of a guideline. <laughs> and went and had a look at the job. It's like double what I thought it would be. And... So I priced it at the, the most expensive job I'd ever priced and so haven't heard back. So I'm kind of glad because it's a huge job. Is it drastically uh, different design-wise? Com completely different. I mean, the only thing that's the same is that it's curved. Yeah. Um, it's more traditional, but it actually I have to do, in this one, I would have to build a six-metre tall curved wall 
for a start and then build the stairs into that wall and build a second curved wall to hold the inside of the stairs and then do all the balustrading around the, the opening of the stairwell and um, a whole lot of site work which makes it more expensive and um, just yeah I can do it but I kind of don't really want to do it mm. so mm. I just made it outrageously expensive so yeah. if they do come back to me, then I will have to work out how to do it. But <laughs> um, That'd be crazy yeah. to do that again. I've got another meeting tomorrow afternoon. I've got another meeting for another new build from a friend of one of my old clients, and that's another complete house lot, a whole kitchen, scullery, laundry area. Um, and I'm getting more of these jobs where people, like the, in this one in particular, the lady wants a very French provincial look for all the cabinetry um, so some molding work um, but she wants it she doesn't want a beautiful lacquered finish which is what that's like all you can get from kitchen manufacturers they, they just want to push you down pre-finished panels and lacquer um, but she wants like hand painted she wants distressing she wants it to be to look a bit older than it probably should do um, and I'm like well yeah okay I can do that um, you don't have to have lacquer, but um, you know, we'll talk through the ins and outs of it. But it's another huge job. It's probably forty grand worth. So it's um, it's crazy that jobs that size are just walking That's in awesome. the door. Have you done that distressed look before? Yeah, I've done a lot of smaller pieces, not in a mm. not in, in in such a large, especially this this particular kitchen. I mean, and it's just massive wall walls of cabinetry and not big yeah. island and, and and it could be too much of one thing mm-hmm. so there's a, a certain amount of I mean I say that but then also the alternative is that you walk in and you just see beautiful lacquered perfect pristine cab- yeah. cabinets at the same time and that's too much of one thing as well so um, there's a bit of a balance the, re- the reason I ask is um, I did a project recently for a client where I did a whitewash finish mm. and it was the first time that I've ever done that and I didn't realize how much finesse and art. And, um, and art there is to it because it's not a, a finish that you're trying to get solid and consistent. You, you know, and, Highs and, this lows was, and... and this was a very simple project where it was a, a top and two legs, a simple whole table, very easy. But to get those three panels to match, <laughs> to look close yeah. enough, Doing a whole kitchen. Yeah, where you've got to you've got to turn your head to actually see the texture. Like, you'd lose your mind because you touch up one and oh, now I've got to go back and do everything again. (laughs) No, well, washing is quite different, and I don't think she's after a wash finish. I think uh, I I would talk anyone out of washing that much timber probably um, because it's not easy. Uh, The thing I did learn about washing timber is that you really need to tell the client that, yes, we can do it. This is what some of my other things have done, or this is what a sample board looks like. But at the end of the day, it, this is you're asking for an artist's uh, opinion of what mm. looks good. And unless you're going to stand there on the day right next to me and say, put a little bit more on. Okay, quick, you've got three seconds before it dries. I right, now wipe it off. And that, no, no, a little bit more. No, a little bit less. And you just keep wiping it on and off until it looks just right. That's what you're paying, like, the maker to do and it's not like putting on paint it's like painting a picture you're creating a texture and yeah. you you've got to trust yourself that okay that's i'll put enough on there and it looks good i, I won't touch it now um and the client's got to be okay with the fact that you're making yeah the, so it's the such a call. subjective thing exactly yeah. and then and to have a client then come and say oh it's not enough paint on it you're like well i didn't think so on the day and I can't do much about that. And that's yeah. that's that's got to be either explained or written down when it comes to really art-based finishes because it's it's very subjective to too much or too little paint goes on. Um, so washing is very difficult. I ended up um, sending this client a picture on Instagram to say, this is where I'm at. I think it's cool. Are you <laughs> okay? But it, even that picture, you, the picture you, doesn't you, do it. You can't get the, the, the look in the in the picture, yeah. In no. this case it worked out okay. It was very it was very subtle and it was going on um, Vic Ash was which is already a very pale timber, so it you know, it was it was very subtle. I thought it looked nice, but there was point one point where I was sitting there going, They could hate this. 
there's, there's nothing I can do. I'm putting a clear coat over it. If they hate it, well, that's yeah. it. Too bad. I just recently did a, a little vanity for an old client, and she wanted it a very old look. It was a French look, carved cabriolet legs, mouldings on things. Typical kind of French style piece of furniture to match some other pieces she had, but she wanted it was going to one. It was going to be painted, and then it was going to be to really look old. And she she showed me some pictures of like dirt stained pieces of wood uh, furniture, and so I actually I like watched a couple of Adam Savage's videos, and I mm. went to I stopped thinking about painting a cabinet and started thinking about how do I finish a prop, mm. Um, mm. and so I went painted it with some awful green colour, then put the colour she wanted on top and then I washed it with black paint and wiped all the black paint off, leaving the black in all the little nooks and crannies, make it look like it's been around for a 100 years. And then I got a card scraper and just started hacking paint off the corners of stuff and chipping the back so you could see the other colour underneath so it looked like it had been painted once or twice before. And um, once I did that, clear-coated the whole thing and that was my piece, and it looked really good. It actually looked like it was at least 100 years old. Um, and it's interesting getting to that point when you're making furniture where you, you're not making furniture anymore, you're just making really is like props or art pieces. It's, it's yeah. a strange, strange business to be in. <laughs> yeah. I, I, w I couldn't see Brian doing anything like that. <laughs> um, I'm always terrified. The subjectiveness of something like even just whitewashing not distressing but whitewashing terrifies me like the idea of bringing a piece to a client's home and them saying oh yeah yeah we really love it and then a couple of days later getting an email going uh it's not quite as white or it's not white enough or it's too white or um i actually had when i came back from new zealand i had a ton of orders for end grain boards so i spent about mm, four weeks just working on end grain boards pretty much and I did four big boards for one client and he ordered them um, in September when I was in New Zealand. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I can wait, I can wait, I can wait. Delivered them to him, big ironbark boards. And uh, he was so lovely, such a nice guy. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to give them as gifts and I just want to support local business. And I was like, that's amazing, thank you. And uh, <laughs> two days later, just this very vague email going, um, are these, is it the natural finish of these boards? Like, is that the what color they are? And I said, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't use stain on any of my work. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the color it is. And he's like, oh, is there any way we can make it more blonde? Like, oh God, no, no, <laughs> no. So I ended up, oh, I don't know, I ended up taking them back, and it was like oh. nearly, t nearly. T I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm. I've been soft in 2021. I need to get hard. Um, oh, but yeah, I took back like two and a, two and a half grand's worth of boards and um, had to find uh, buyers for them and sent them, like got them sold. But now I have to make them uh, three new boards. Oh, God. Yeah. And that was... How did you get that? Like, I, was, I, was, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. He'd waited three over three months Joey and he'd been yeah. he was genuinely a lovely bloke he just didn't know what iron bark timber looked like and I said you know you've asked for iron bark timber fuck's sake google it yeah, yeah I know I know so that was uh what was that five days before my operation that happened and I'm like oh my god uh god yeah well all so, right yeah never again don't yeah. do that again Dude. I won't I promise yeah no more free jobs for friends gonna gonna not take back any any boards but, um, yeah, so that's another job I have when I get back. I forgot about that. Bugger. <laughs> Talking about end grain, do you guys run your end grain boards through your thicknesses? I watched your video on this. I <laughs> do. I didn't used to. I had a big, like, 40 mil or 50 mil diameter flattening bit on the router and a sled and a jig. And I always, I've seen people doing it online and they seem to have much better success with it than me. And I don't know whether it's just the fact the timber that I'm working with is so hard um, and dense. With the router bit? With the router bit. I feel as though it doesn't want to stay flat, so it will ride up. And even if oh, I yeah. then, even if, if I then do like a reverse pass coming back over it, 
I'll just always have burn marks on it that mm. there's just no belt sanding them out. And even if even if you hit is that them a for, solid is that a solid like carbide bit or no. is it a bit with inserts? It's it's not got inserts, but it's it's got teeth on it. Uh, so you can't do a straight plunge, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's probably got about ten teeth on it, so you have to come in from the side. And yeah. I was I was doing like half, half mil passes or something. Um, is it is it like eucalypt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's pretty high in sugar, isn't it? Like it burns pretty. Quick. It is. Yeah, yeah. And, and but, like a big a, a big blade with lots of surface area is probably going to generate a bit probably a bit too much heat. But then the funny thing is, you put it through the thicknesser, and it actually comes out really, really nice. Oh, yeah? So when I was previously getting a bit of burn and you're belt sanding end grain, the problem is you're heating it up. Yeah. So it's start, starting to deform and warp all over the place. So, yeah, I ended up making the boards quite a bit oversized. I, I think you glued something to prevent tear out on one end, didn't you? Yeah, just put a strip of pine on the back end so yeah. it came out. Yeah, that's... So I just I just made them I don't know thirty mil um, longer than they needed to be because of this stagger in the boards that I did they have to be trimmed anyway um, mm. and uh, yeah used the jointer to get one side flat um, which you could do in a thickness or I suppose with a, a jig and glue and wedges and it worked really really well obviously none of them have exploded no nah, not at all because again on the thicknesser I'm, I know that the the blades are parallel, so there is no sort of... There's very, very little sanding to take out. The mm. only thing is you do get a slight indication of direction of the... of the Which of the way cut. the, the cut's been um, yeah. fed in. So the boards that I make are bigger... I think the maximum I can put through my thicknesser is 320 mil or 280 or 320. I don't know, one of the jet combo machines. Right. So I was making the boards in two halves. And if okay. you fed one half through the other way, then glued the boards and looked down them, it was like the fibers were sort of it's ever so slightly. Yeah. And you wouldn't notice it until you sort of got down and looked mm. at the light reflecting off it. So, yeah, that, I ended up making very clear marks feed in this direction. And so oh. when you say the blades, are you, <clears throat> is that one of the thicknesses with the three knobs? Uh, I've got a helical head. So yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because it's the, the main reason I'm asking is, the feedback that I got in that video was most of it was interesting, but some of it was was quite aggressive. Where people were saying, <laughs> "You sh you should aggressive be people on YouTube." This. Yeah, no, go figure. Huh? You shouldn't be promoting this because this is dangerous. And you know, I've this, I've had a board explode or I've had a board fly across the. Um, and it's it was only after I put it out that I thought, actually, hang on, it was this a a silly thing to promote instead of it being you know more of an experiment um but the one thing we, that seemed to come up very often was the spiral or helical head seems to do the trick the three knives bad idea that's yeah, where it's I gonna think, go wrong um, it's probably because I, there's always blade in contact like yeah. when it's I spinning at however many thousand rpm or whatever uh there'll always be a point contacting the board that holds it in place whereas with three straight knives you're going to get chatter. Mm. I think there's just yeah. a lot more tension on the board. Mm. If you've got a straight knife going all the way across it, if there's any impact. weak point, it's going to find a weak point and it's going to split. Um, mm. I don't think I've, I've hardly ever made any ingrain chopping boards. I, oh, you should, Joey. They're, they're great yeah, to make. They're really fun. Yeah. <laughs> Give them away um, for free as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I would probably avoid it. I'd probably just do it. I'd probably just throw it through my thickness there. But my thickness is not the best. I, I, don't, I don't think a straight knife um, thickness there would be great for it. But I'd do it anyway and just see what happens. Yeah. Um, I don't mm. think it's that dangerous. Even if it explodes, I don't think it's just dangerous don't stand behind it. If you think it's going to explode, just go next to it. Yeah. Like it's not going to go anywhere. It's not something you even have to... Like by the time the rulers get it, it's not heavy enough that you're having to really push it into the thickness or like you no. could you could step away from it and I don't know. I think there's yeah. lots of ways to skin the cat and um who cares? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Trying to get it super flat otherwise is is really, really hard if you're using a, mm. a, a hard timber. But we, um yeah. so I actually did my 
in my kitchen now, I've, I made a, a, maybe you guys remember, year, probably two years ago, I made a, a really big chopping block. It's like my bench top is like a butcher's block. And yeah. I made plywood, essentially, out of solid timber. Yep. And because it was too big to go through any machine I had, we CNC'd it flat. And as soon as it came off the bed, it turned into a banana. Yep. It did mm. not want, it did not like the flattening process. And I don't really understand what's going on there because it's, yeah, not sure why, but I had to just pull it flat when I screwed it onto my cabinet base. I just pulled, had to clamp it flat and screw it in place. And it started lifting slightly. You know, if you really looked at it, you could tell it's not dead flat, but I don't, I don't really care. But it's, it's just something that happens to big blocks of wood that are glued up. Yeah. They don't want to stay flat, I don't think. It's all about, I think it's the ratio as well about, obviously the smaller that you make your blocks up on and the end grain, the more stable it is because you get less movement, like less bend, like because you can alternate the the grain pattern and stuff. But every time you're making something smaller, you're creating more waste. If you're you're making them down from a larger stock of timber, every cut is, you know, three millimeters of of sawdust. So you kind of got to really work on an optimum size that you're not wasting timber, but you're getting something that is quite stable. And as well, the, like the depth of the of the board. So I'll kind of start out with them at about 40 mil. And then by the time I've thickness them, sanded them, they're maybe down to about 37, 37 mil, yeah. something like that. So that's, that's quite thin. Um, yeah. It seems thin. Yeah. Mine's yeah. 100 mil thick. Yeah. So I've had yeah. one, I've got one on my bench here that is five years old and it's still flat yeah. i haven't had to adjust the feet and i i just say to clients i'm like if you leave it wet it will warp if you leave it in the sunshine it will warp mm. um if it warps a little bit unscrew one of the feet put a little washer screw the foot back on mm. but um yeah mm. end grain boards you've always got to lift off the bench when yeah, you see what, people it's not good for stuff no no oh dehumidifiers yeah yeah, de- dehumidifiers aren't good. I made this uh, extension dining table out of Rimu from some guy's childhood house that got smashed down and he got some studs out of it and made this dining table. We met his wife at this house with some bollocks. Anyway, they, he had his house renovated and he put the dining table out on the deck. Oh, no. And it, the top cupped about 25 to 30 mil. Jeez. Oh. Just turned into a banana. <laughs> Could you salvage anything? Like, was there well, anything? he didn't tell me about it till well after the fact. And then when I went there for another some other work, I was like, oh, how's the table going? And he, and he had all these weights sitting on it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, what's going on? I'm just trying to flatten it back out. And it was almost flat. It was only had about 10 mil in it by the time I saw it. Oh. And he's like, what can we do? And I was like, well, yeah, nothing. <laughs> you kind of <laughs> Don't, baked yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah. So I've got some exciting news. Okay. Um, I'm going to be doing some work with Timbercon mm. in the coming months. They are reselling pony pony Jorgensen. Is that how you say it? Uh, the clamps. Uh, the clamp. Yeah. Yeah. So they're becoming the the I think the the, the sole reseller in Australia hmm. of the clamps, and they've reached out to a few of us YouTubers to be what they're calling a brand ambassador. Yeah. So I got a nice big heavy um, box in the the mail uh, a couple of days ago. So I'm going to be doing some you know some unboxings, some projects with them. But I'm I'm super excited about this. Firstly, obviously it's you know it's always nice to work with local companies. But man, if there's anything you want to get sponsored, it's clamps because the, <laughs> that whole you never run out. Of, you can never have enough clamps. Absolutely. I've just gone out and bought myself some some bar clamps. Just you know started working with bar clamps for the first time. And already I've found myself in situations where not enough. So very excited to be getting into this project. I must say, if you are going to be sponsored, it's good to have the sponsor be in the country you're in and be able to actually ship you the stuff. Mm. (laughs) Uh, Because midway through um, last year, yeah, sometime, because we were back working at full pace, I had a, a company offer me a full CNC machine and all they wanted was to have it seen in the odd video. And they were going to give me a whole big, this giant, heavy Russian thing. And ended up signing paperwork and everything. It was, it was coming. And then I get the email saying, 
do you know how we can get it to you from Russia? <laughs> <laughs> do you know anybody flying that can carry it for you? <laughs> and, and then they've just gone completely off the radar. You're kidding me. Can't, just can't get me anything. So they can't get you a big diesel-powered Russian CNC, no? No. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> how's, uh, how's the YouTube thing going, uh, Joe? Oh, God. What's the time? How much time have we got? <clears throat> I don't know. I am struggling. <laughs> with, I'm struggling with the whole idea of like I. I like making videos. I think I, I still enjoy that. I've got a video sitting on my camera, waiting to be edited. Which, by the way, I got a brand new ca- camera rig. So all those people who complain can stop complaining about my camera. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I'm with those people. You're. Yeah. Your video quality is, um, it's pretty 2010. Yeah, man. That's when I bought the camera. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's dead. Joey, I think, I think they look retro. I think they're very cool. Don't listen to, don't listen to Robin and his fancy gear. <laughs> uh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm so fed up with, uh, I kind of understand it on YouTube to a degree. I feel like the amount of advertising on uh, YouTube has just gone to it's this rocketed, whole yeah. new level of unwatchable. Um, mm. and the last thing I'm, I'm actually, I haven't done it yet. Um, I've, I still haven't made up my mind, but I'm probably just going to pull all advertising off my channel and anything. That's why I haven't done anything on Instagram. I'm just, just sick of looking at ads. Every second picture on Instagram is an ad for something, whether mm. it's, it's just a legitimate paid advertisement or just Joe Bloggs woodworker saying, hey, Typebond, you're really good glue and I really, um, Makita, mm. I, really, I really like your tools. Um, I'm just sick of everything is just an advert and it's generally not even targeted at me. It's the person posting who's trying to get free shit. And it's, mm. it's like uh, I've been struggling with this thing with like what is the point now? What is the point in social media? Because yeah, uh, it's, become, it's like, become inundated. Everyone's selling, no one's buying. So it just feels yeah. like we're all just selling to each other. Yeah. And I, I think just in the last day, I've, I just realized that what I, I hate about YouTube advertising and Instagram advertising is that they're two platforms. Well, I think all platforms focused on followers, but it seems they're the two I'm really familiar with. It's like, you know, you have to get followers, grow your whoever's following you for, for whatever reason. No one's explained that to me yet. Um, but all you're doing is making those followers look at your ads more. And do you mm. really want to be just pushing your adverts on... Or pushing somebody else's wanna, adverts, yeah. Yeah. On, for free. <laughs> on, on the people that you want to follow you and, hey, everybody follow me and look at my ads. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. essentially what they're saying. And I'm just like... I well, you do, you do have some entertaining content to go along with it. Yes, Hopefully. and there's definitely, and that's what I've been struggling with. Like, there are legitimate posts where you go, "Hey, that is a good idea. That person has thought about that, and I'd, I'd like to sit and mull that over." And then the very next post is trying to sell me some some pair of electronic X-ray specs. And it's like, you know, it's worse than watching old-fashioned TV at this point. You might yeah. as well just watch five minutes of five minutes of ads and then ten minutes of program. That seems a better Jeez, deal. Joe, than... I don't know. I've watched TV in New Zealand and you're watching <laughs> twenty minutes of ads for two minutes of TV. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I haven't actually watched that TV, that kind of TV for probably ten years. But um, uh, yeah, so like my whole like th- my whole ins- my whole like uh, social media internet presence, I've just been like, is this even worth my w- time? Like, why? And so, again, YouTube, I'm like, yeah, I like doing it. But so take this, for example. When I started YouTube, it was like seven years ago, the, the general kind of, I don't know, feel amongst woodworkers was it seemed like people were like, uh, how can I upgrade my skills so I can stop working my nine-to-five and start being a woodworker for my job? And that was like the... That was it. And now look where the woodworking world is. It's how can I sell advertising on my YouTube channel so I don't have to do be a woodworker or my, work on my nine-to-five job? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really just content creation posing as woodworking. Yeah, that's true. It, it's more <laughs> it's about the posts and the sponsorship deals than it is about... And if you happen to make something that 200,000 people watch in the first day then you then it's good for you like 
Well, again, again, that's, I still believe that's just a part of it, though. There's, yeah, you you yeah. will still have the organic reaction and growth if you are presenting something entertaining. And because yeah. I, there's so many people that I see on, on Instagram and YouTube, and personally, I believe this is a mistake, but this is only personal, and I'm not massively successful, so take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt. But when I see... Smaller channels promoting um, Star. I think it's Starbond, the the CA glue, right? Heaps and heaps of smaller channels promoting Starbond. What what you don't realize is that you are assigning yourself, or you you're, you're aligning with the brand that has become so diluted at this stage that your image is being adjusted so heavily because of that. If Samsung sponsors you. Everyone goes, wow, this guy's sponsored by Samsung. That's amazing. So it's almost like because that, that there's been such an inundation of all these people wanting to sponsor other people, as a content creator, you need to be clever and say, I'm not going to go with them just because it's free stuff because that that doesn't improve my brand. Mm. So what, what what is the deal with it? Like a CA clue, like how many years worth of supply are they giving them or how much are they paying them to... To promote a CA glue? I'm not sure what it is. I was contacted by one years years ago and it was just CA glue was not something that I ever used. And still today, that company I see occasionally, oh, I, I won't say who it was, but I, they still, I see smaller creators going with them. And it's it's mm. almost, yeah, it almost has this feeling like it's never really elevated from there. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 um, uh, I had a I had a point I was going to make before and I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> it is a top, like with endorsements and things like I'm, I'm I'm obviously I think I've got three YouTube videos so I'm only about six hundred behind Joy, um, <laughs> but the offers that that I get from sponsors are just bizarre. I have like cigar companies contacting me. <laughs> I had a Russian power tool manufacturer. It might have been your mob, Joey, in, in Moscow. Yeah. But they're trying to say, you know, are we aligned with like the quality and you know the bespoke nature? Yeah. And I looked at their tools and I'm like, do you? <laughs> <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> like, you're selling a uh, circular mm. saw for forty euros. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, but yeah, it's always a strange one. I got one last week from a Japanese knife company that were trying to get me into some fruit carving competition. Oh, good. It was bizarre. Natural progression. Man. Absolutely <laughs> bizarre. So I don't know. I'm just waiting <laughs> waiting for the call from that CA glue company so I can retire. It's um <laughs> it's, oh, it's so crazy that they and like I get like at the moment I am getting hounded by these guys who are trying to start something, some kind of YouTube based um fans like uh, only fans thing for woodworkers where mm. they can chat direct to you and you can give them free personalized advice and it's like is it clothes on or clothes off joy oh well I haven't delved into the paperwork okay all right i'll do clothes <laughs> off where they get you. i'll sell out yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah i just it's just completely like, every day it's like how can we make money off what you're doing and and um like I understand, like, at, especially at the start, I think there was an absolute need for um, people who had a decent idea of what they were doing in the workshop to show to show their techniques on YouTube. And that's all gone out the window, it seems, in the last year. And the problem with is that it makes perfect sense at the moment for the, the rest of the world to be focusing on ad revenue from YouTube because a lot of people can't do their regular jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it makes perfect sense that people are just spamming the ads. Because um, if I don't know if it's still the same way, but I'm pretty sure you can just, as a when you upload a video, you can put as many ads on it as you like. Um, and you can have ads every 30 seconds if you want. You're not going to get much views, but you know, I've seen videos like that, especially <laughs> kids' videos. Yeah. Um, and then YouTube are hoping that you get fed up and then sign up to a premium. <laughs> well, yeah. 
I don't know, so that's, that's a, a big dilemma for me at the moment because I realise the majority of the world needs to be um, getting revenue from something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I'm just... I can barely watch YouTube at the moment because it's, it's so crowded with advertising. Not, not even... The, I think the biggest problem is, like, sometimes YouTube will just put their one ad at the front and if you're a reasonable creator, you've you've just got like one advert at the front, at the start of your video, but then in that, if you look at a, a video from like the Hacksmith uh, Industries lately, you're looking at like a 15 minute video with like nine minutes of ads built into it, and it's just not watchable. Would you uh, look at I switching get... to a different platform, like a different? I'm at the point where I could just go, yeah, delete, delete the channel because <laughs> who, do you, well, who least... do you primarily like, what is your reason for making the videos? Is it because you like something to reflect back on or is it to inspire people to get the old clients? I feel like here and there? we talked about this once and I didn't have a good answer. I, I feel like after thinking about it for a, mm. a week, um, it was that there was an actual genuine need like I said before, people were trying to get to the point where you are woodworking for your biz, for your job and not doing a nine-to-five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was in a position where That's I was it. already there seven years ago. I was already woodworking for my job, and I thought I was in a good position to give people That's advice yep. um, in some way or form. Yep. Um, and I feel like now that that's not even a focus. People don't want to be woodworkers for a job because... Um, and I've actually heard well-known woodworkers say, don't do it, it's too much of a, a, a hassle and you're better off trying to sell content in some way, like plans and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, mm. And so it's like, well, is there any point in making good old-fashioned how-to woodworking videos? Because no one wants, no, it seems yeah. like everyone's just in it, they just want to see like the giant ball fall off the tower and explode on a car. Like that's, that's what people want to see. But at the same time, you see like woodworking Sign classes, up. like the uptake in woodworking <clears throat> classes, like physical classes that you attend are at an all time high in Australia. Like all the right. courses are filled. Yeah. So I think that's similar here. Yeah. I, I think it's a similar thing. People are more interested in in that, but I feel like the, I don't know. I'd love to know that how many what the swell of woodworking channels is now compared to seven years ago. Like yeah. it, it must be off the charts. So I think there's too much choice. Yep. Anyway, it's just my personal dilemma so, of like I can't be bothered with social media anymore because I can't be bothered just being like open the phone and just ads. Like why why do that mm. to yourself? So I just haven't touched Instagram for like two months. Yeah. I kind of let my Instagram sitting a bit. Obviously, I haven't had much work to post on it, but I did a little bit of work tweaking. I'd never really used stories, like saved Instagram stories. Right. And I kind of thought maybe I should be using those as a folio, something that's like a sticky, like it's right up the top mm. of my of my feed. Um, so yeah. I spent a bit of time when I was uh, laid up in bed working on that, that I thought if I, if I send a client to my Instagram they see that you have followers, they see that people engage with your work, but you're able to actually control the first thing they see, which are the folios and and the stories of mm. the project and things like that. But in terms of uh, really posting on a daily basis and trying to tell your story of how you work, like who are you doing it for? You're doing it for other yeah. workers. Like you're doing it for... Well, yeah, I feel like that's... I wanted to ask you guys, like what do you actually get out of using, yeah. say, Instagram? Because I'm familiar with it. It seems to me... The only thing I actually really get out of it is going, oh, I got a few hats. That feels good. I, I do it for the community. Like, I think oh. the, especially I'm in quite a big city, but I'm very lucky that there is a really close-knit um, group of woodworkers in Melbourne. Um, and connecting to people on that, both on your feed and in private messages, like, it, it definitely makes my life the fact that I'm in the workshop by myself 80% of the time, having a network that you're able to talk to, if you've had a shitty day, if you don't know how to mm. do something, if you've got a nightmare client, you've got somebody that knows what it's like to go through that. Like, we, you know, when, when you get on your yeah. couch and have to vent about about yeah. clients that want doors moved and uh, kitchen doors rehung. But um, it's a similar thing. So I think that's 
a real positive of social media. Like, I'm not sure whether you guys were aware, but uh, there was a maker in Melbourne who had moved to a new workshop, had spent months fitting out this workshop, was a week away from operating, had all the tools in, and they got burgled um, January. And they they couldn't work out whether it was somebody who had seen them moving in. Um, There was no signs of forced entry, so the insurance company didn't cover it. And they're thinking, we spent all oh, our money no. fitting out this. Like, what the hell do we do? And um, oh, they started a uh, just giving or donations thing. Yeah. Um, trying to recover, I think it was about 16000 or $17,000 worth of power tools and hand tools that they had stolen. Nice. I, I think they ended up getting twenty grand within a week. Wow. Um. And, you know, you see all the other makers sharing it. So there's things like that, that without social media, like, what kind of position is that person left in? Mm. Um, so in terms of community, I do really still value the... I, I can put all the shit away and just forget about that to still get that one positive out of it. It seems like what you just said, that's what social media should be for. Yep. It to be social. Yeah, and to be, like kind yeah um and um but it, it just seems like all you see is the opposite of that yeah and yep. and and because you can't go around advertising that you had this cool story because it just doesn't work quite like that yep but um all you see is like i say i think i feel like all you see is the opposite of that story and it makes you it makes me want to just turn away from it yep yeah it's funny even when you say about like being kind because platforms like YouTube are obviously not kind. Yeah. Instagram is a little bit softer, mm. but I, I think f- from my experience, Instagram is one of the most positive <laughs> yeah. places. Uh, but again, I think that's because you tend to get wrapped in your mm. little bubble. Probably, yeah, it's yeah. Not, it's just an echo chamber. External, um, Could be, yeah. Yeah. But I find that the community side of things, when I'm able to direct message people about projects. If I'm looking for an honest answer, I'll get an honest answer. And that takes me back to sort of the days in architecture school where things were harsh, like really harsh. There was no sugarcoating. There was no tap-like. Like it was it was tough love. And mm. you always ended up, albeit it was a tough route to go down, but you ended up with better projects at the, at the end. And I mm. find that I've used social media to a point where I can build those relationships where I can get true, honest answers from people. So yeah, you can get all the love hearts on your feed, but then there is a side to it that if you're looking for it, you can you can really use it proactively as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see. Um, it seems like in, in the States at least, people use Instagram as that that's their kind of website for gaining jobs yeah and i'm it seems a bit more like that in australia i feel like because here i i've probably got maybe two jobs that i know of through instagram and and it's interesting i'd like to like i've got i'm not sure if it's meant to be based on followers i mean is that why you should grow more followers because somehow you might get more jobs from it i've got i think somewhere around eight thousand followers on instagram um and out of that, I get maybe two jobs. I mean, is it even worth the ha- that hassle? Mm. Yeah, I don't get that much work from Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I, I've said it a million times before, but clients, I, I reckon they'll usually find my website or find an online article or something like that. Will then go to my Instagram as a third or fourth point of contact. Yeah. and look at it and so long as it looks credible and you know there's photos mm. of me working and time lapses and some to yeah. camera stuff but just a little bit that reflects the personality behind the business it's not just all sort of white backdrop yeah i'm with furniture you shots. i love being able to send mm. um send my uh, just send a link to my client and say here's something on my instagram that we made that's really similar to what you're after what do you think and, yep. and same with youtube i can I, I often just say go look at my youtube and for me, that's a bigger asset at the moment, just having a library of online content where I can yep. send people who are actually interested in spending money with me. Um, I'd, I'd rather do that than care, actually, if it's, I mean, yeah, I, I probably at this stage, I could put all my videos to private so no one can see them until I send them a link. <laughs> because it's just like, ugh, pointless. 
It's hard. It's like, had you considered any sort of patreon thing or putting anything behind a paywall or... I don't want to get paid for it. Yeah. But you don't want like, other people to get paid for yeah. no, well, your work it. either. Yeah. That's it. Because that's that's the dilemma. Because I would, uh, I understand, especially now that people need to be making money if they can't go to yeah. their real jobs in most of the world. Uh, both, or all three of us are in a position where we can mostly work without hassle of quarantining bollocks um, so to me I'm not sure where I stand on the advertising at all like I understand people need to make money but it seems like we're like reached some critical mass where like advertising is just insanity online mm-hmm. but I think as well you're also looking at it from a from a how to, if you're looking at it as a how to platform that's a very holistic and maybe even a naive way of looking at it because you're right that is how it started but there's also a big group of people who just want to be entertained i do want to see what happens when that giant ball falls off the damn wall and and hits the car because that's cool you know who doesn't want to see that it's not like i don't watch Um, that it's just that's what everyone wants to watch (laughs) so yeah you've got to sort of be careful of you know associating the two together because they're very different content Yeah, I get that. Yeah, it's just a strange thing, like I say. It was this weird personal dilemma of being trying to work out what what, I even, what am I doing? Should I even bother with the time I spend on those things? Or, sh- or should I just plow on ahead like I did seven years ago when no one knew who I was? <laughs> yeah. So what's the, what's the video? Oh, I've got a, so the, the last video was like a tips and tricks on how to do a big built-in wardrobe. And I did mm. a follow follow up with a, a built in TV unit. So there's a few different aspects to TV kind of uh, TV bookshelf type things. Um, mm-hmm. So I've got that ready to edit. I have no motivation to edit it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm busy working on a, a pendant light for my. Yeah, some of the curve. Um, um, is it bent line? So I had this whole big because uh, this this is potentially going to go out to a, to be put on a client's um, uh, channel. I had this whole idea and I pitched it to them where I'm going to be steam bending this curve, cut these tiny little two millimeter yeah. strips of of Vic Ash and then just put them onto the clamp and there was no steam bending required because it was going to be all about steam bending. But anyway, there was no need for that. So it's just two very thin strips glued together and it's and it's held the shape. Um, so it's two octagons on either end, and then there's three strips on on each edge that curve right. like a, a little S bend. And I put the first picture up, and within a couple of minutes, I had a, a like from Duncan Meading. Oh, cool! Yeah. And internally, I just went, "Yeah, <laughs> I made it. Duncan likes my my light fixture. I'm I'm done." That's cool. <laughs> yeah, so looking forward to finishing that one. Yeah, awesome. And so, Brian, you're just not doing anything for the next week um, or six. Oh, I've just finished. Um, last year, I was working on a crib for for a client, and he's looking at. He saw my crib that I did for my son, and was asking me if I'd be interested to help him get his project off the ground. So he's hoping to get them manufactured, whether it happens in Australia or oh. overseas. So I built two different prototypes of headboard for him with some fairly complex joinery that. I haven't been able to share because of a confidentiality agreement, right. unfortunately. Ooh. But um, interesting. Yeah, so I've just been documenting that. So I've finished, I don't know, a good forty hours of documentation on that set, Jeez. which is good. Um, yeah. So that's done. Um, I was also Adam Markowitz. I don't know whether you saw his posts about the the big kind of vertical yeah. piece that he he ebonized. What was that? It was pretty cool. It was so. It was for Melbourne Design Week. There was a group of makers approached to um, put a piece in different shop fronts around the city to sort of create this trail of, of artifacts. Right. And his idea was that it was going to be used to show different techniques and how a maker's hand is different across various makers. Mm-hmm. So that row of carved, kind of scalloped, carving that he had I think he used maybe 10 different makers or something and had them come to his workshop and carve a section and it was about a week uh, I don't know must have been longer than a week maybe two weeks after my operation 
and literally the first day that I'd been standing up and he said, oh, what are you doing? I'm coming around. Um, <laughs> so he came around with it set up in the back of his van and, and, uh, and I carved my yeah, section of it. Picture. Nearly yeah, passed cool. out afterwards, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was pretty cool. And then he ebonized it. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I think he used the same technique um, that Laura McCusker was saying about the powder. So yeah, um, what's it called? Yeah, yeah, that stuff. Yeah, tannin. Yeah, no? it's got tannins in it, but I can't remember what it was called. Was it the oxalic acid? I think that's the one. Oh. Very yeah. good. Yep, that sounds familiar. Um, so yeah, it was cherry, and it went black, black. So wow. yeah, that finished uh, being exhibited yesterday, the day before, day before I think. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I've been working on. But yeah, very much looking forward to getting back in the workshop. Mm. So I reckon we'll we'll call it there because that's been an hour. Um, we're going to be doing fortnightly episodes again. Yep. So we'll get them out to iTunes as soon as possible. Um, we're looking at putting some new some guests on. We've already been in discussion about um, a certain someone. I won't give it away. Which um, she looks pretty cool. Yep. So that'll be pretty cool. And, um, yeah, it's great to be back. Yeah. Yeah. Stoked to be doing the, the podcast again. Um, it's, it, the break turned out to be way longer than expected. So, yeah. Yeah, don't so be having any more kids for a wee while, Robin, okay? Oi, after tonight. <laughs> can, can I return them? Can I give them back? He's going to get the old chop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, well, I guess we'll leave it there. So um, yep. if you enjoyed the show. Please give us a rating on iTunes. That really does help us out. Shopstall Podcast is available on most podcasting apps. Uh, Joey and Brian, thanks again for hanging out, and we will see you guys in the next one. See ya. Cheers, guys.